Lord God, we are grateful for our time together in your word, and we're grateful for the joy we have in it and all these opportunities. Thank you for football. And uh, we will be content, Lord. You know who we root for. And Lord, also be with the leeches, especially as Anne is suffering from her back problems. Uh, give her a respite from that. Don't have the flight back be a problem. Give them a lot of joy and a lot of and, uh, uh, good times there. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we are in Second Timothy chapter 2. Uh, it's been a few years, not a lot of years, maybe three years since I was in this passage. And, but I was looking at it, as many cases, your, your mind goes through different conversations with people, you develop not different thoughts but different stresses and you come back to a passage that you may have said one thing about and you end up not saying something contrary but you're touching on a different aspect. I was asked last night, um, Drew was over and was uh, chatting um, and he's wondering how we as, you know, old people I think he meant old Christians who have seen a lot of Christians drive their lives into a wall or some solid abutment. How do you deal with all the disappointment you see of people not living life the way they are? We talked about it for quite a while. I would have put that on my mind. And another friend of mine from Portland um, posted something online about how the new and young happening church, and we're not a new, young, happening church, is much more about authenticity than they are about holiness. Go figure. It's almost more noble to be authentic, even authentically broken. Those are both trend terms, a kind of a broken authenticity. You mean you're rotten? No, I'm broken and authentic. Well, the Lord wants you to be holy. So these things were on my mind. And I wanted you know, to know how to encourage the saints or how to point them in a direction that didn't produce a bunch of, you know, stale old Christians. You know how you can have stale old Christians. And you can have... You almost prefer the stale an old Christian to the really well-informed systematic theologian old Christian. Because the systematic theologian is just problems. And if those are your only two choices of adult maturity in the Lord, you can understand why being broken and authentic, what other other modern terms there are, uh, uh, you've heard of missional, we used to call it evangelism, but they call it a missional. Um, exciting young people's churches. You, you, again, here, All Souls Christian, we despise the youth. Utterly, absolutely, in every respect, on each axis. They still come. They keep showing up. Dang it. So what do we do? How do we, how do we keep from going stale or just difficult Or being youthful and foolish. 
Let's look at 2 Timothy 2. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earthenware, and some for noble use, and some for ignoble. I don't know if you've had any experience with a period of time before indoor plumbing. I have, where you had to trot out to the yard and visit this little shed that had a moon cut in the door. You say, Evan, where are you from? Well, I visited my grandparents, and they, that's the circumstance they had. And as a young person, I said, golly, father, I talked to my dad, what did you do when it was like six degrees below zero out in the Nebraska Plains? Did you pull your jammies up and head out into the six degrees below zero? To... He said, no, 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 certainly not. You had chamber pots. My eyes widened. <laughs> what do you mean, chamber pots? Well, he informed me. I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. When we bought the big house 34 years ago, there was an auction and Leslie bought a bunch of chamber pots from this shelter care home that used to run in our house. So now we have them as trash cans and things like that, not as chamber pots. Now you would want, never, ever want to see your porridge show up in the morning at your place at the kitchen counter in a chamber pot. Why is that? Yeah, you know what the chamber pot is? Have you figured it out yet? It's the thing you go to the bathroom in without a bathroom to go to. It is an ignoble use, like a mop bucket. You don't want your breakfast served in the mop bucket either, or a cuspidor. You know what a cuspidor is? Some of you cowboys know what a cuspidor is. You're chewing tobacco, foot up on the brass rail, somebody challenges you to a fight, you spit in that little brass thing over in the corner. That's a cuspidor. So it's a, a jug for spit. You don't want your oatmeal to show up in that either. Some things are for noble use. Mom has the silverware. She has her fine china. It's in a china cabinet because she protects it from spitting cowboys. She protects it from being a mop bucket. Everyone knows this concept. What do you think he's getting at here? In a great house, there are vessels like this. Then he says, if anyone purifies himself from what is ignoble, then he will be a vessel for noble use, consecrated and useful to the master of the house, ready for any good work. Now there's a promise in that. Christianity has ignoble, inferior parts. No, the French Enlightenment was not correct. You're not all equal. I'm sorry. It's just the way the world is. But some of our ignobleness is not because we're not as pretty as the next person, we're not as smart as the next person, it's because we live a life that is designed our, our container for ignoble purposes. Some people always come for counseling. 
how do you manage, one of the questions that crosses my mind, I don't ever ask it, how do you manage to keep getting into so much trouble? How do you manage it? I don't have the time for the amount of trouble you get into. Well, frankly, Evan, I have a gift. I can pile up stupid higher than anybody, and then it falls on me again, and I got a stupid situation in my life again. Sometimes it's just folly, sometimes it's great sin. I don't know, it's a gift. But it's telling you something. It's not saying, oh, this is the way it is. Ignoble Christians, noble Christians. We're talking about the church here. It seems to suggest that if you're ignoble, you can fix that. If anyone purifies himself, when Leslie got those chamber pots, she cleaned them. She cleaned them well. Even if they were just going to be trash cans now, moving up from chamber pot to trash can required a great degree of cleaning. People don't even want to touch a chamber pot if they don't have to. It suggests that the ignoble qualities, the things that make you of ignoble use in the kingdom, are things of your choosing. Because if anyone purifies himself, from what is ignoble, then he will be a vessel for noble use. You're changing, what did Henry V say to the soldiers at St. Crispin's Day? You will gentle your condition. You will rise up in the circumstance. We don't want, now, what do you, in society, when you have people that are ignoble, or you see things on the internet that show how ignoble people live, the phrase is trash, right? They are just, your, your Aunt Betty's, they're just trash. White trash, right? For us, we're Idahoans, right? White trash. And you wonder, is there, are there Christian trash? People that are, the Lord loves, they're in the kingdom, they are perpetually living a life in such a way that the ignobleness of their choices come back to bite them. It's not that people aren't smart, people aren't beautiful, and people aren't capable. They choose to not purify what they're doing. And sometimes they will make that look like it was more noble than becoming ready for noble use. But let's look at what he's thinking this problem is. Because he said, well, how do you purify yourself? It's just kind of a general phrase. So, verse 22, Shun youthful passions. He says, if anyone purifies himself, he's going to be ready for a better situation. So, first step, think of all your youthful passions and you shun them. And you say, oh, I can see where he's going now. He's going to turn, stay, turn me into a stale old Christian. And he's going to say something about the music in those churches. Ah, I don't like really music. I mean, my daughter, for heaven's sake, is a music director at a church with the, ba the bass line alone will rip your innards out. <laughs> you know, it's just a... 
you, you really catch it. Now, they're good and they're talented. So it's not about those superficial distinctions. Because those, the pastors at her church, are heavy in the word. They teach through book studies in, from the pulpit Sunday after Sunday. So it's not the culture of youth. It's the passion. So shun youthful passions. And aim at righteousness, faith, love, and peace. There's the list. If I'm going to purify myself to be ready for noble work in the kingdom of heaven, not be Christian trash, not always be the perpetual job security for people who are in counseling, I'm supposed to set aside the passions that associate themselves with being young and aim doesn't say aim at developing your systematic theology. It says, along with people who have a pure heart, right motivation here. Not so that you could be better than others, not so that you could be arrogant and difficult to live with, not, but so that you can be righteous, faithful, loving, and peaceful. That's what you're aiming at. Most people think there's only two worlds. The passionate, youthful, missional, authentic church. And the, I mean, somewhere in between is the stale, dead, mainline church. And then there is the, the uber-thinky church. Where everybody, like the OPC, uh, they're called the Church of 10,000 Theologians. Every man in every pew, he got like three books open on his lap and he's looking at the pastor intently to make sure that he doesn't wander from Westminster Confession of Faith. That's what people think of their choices, right? Either young, passionate, overhead projector, uh, what else do they do? Um, you know, maybe just one hand. They're not fully charismatic, but they got one hand. Nothing wrong with one hand up. Nothing wrong with two hands up. Nothing wrong with having a theology. But these aren't my two worlds I'm choosing between. I'm not choosing between having a youthful, passionate church and a difficult, argumentative, theological church. Because it says in verse 23, have nothing to do with stupid, senseless controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. That's exactly what happens over on this side. You've got two choices. We've got to stop being stupid Christians. We have to know what the target I'm aiming at is. If you are not <laughs> in righteousness, in faith, in love, at peace, you're wrong. Okay? Deal with it. Somehow, dear heavens, deal with it. But know that that's the target. It says aim at, that means you're aiming at this, looking at this, that's the target. And you then assess yourself as to whether or not you are righteous, whether or not you are faithful, loving, and peaceful. Have you set aside youthful passion? Have you avoided the trap of thinking you're measured by how big an argument you can get into? And believe me, I know. How big 
an argument can get. And how much you're tempted. I mean, I was a, a Christian back in the Jesus people days, and I was out on the streets with Christian freaks handing out underground newspapers and witnessing the people on the street and going to early Christian rock concerts and all the things that were going on then. And that was it's that day's youthful passion. Jesus made the cover of Time magazine. He finally got some credibility, I guess, in history. Everybody was all wild and all the youth. They're the answer to the faith. So we had a different phase of it. Then we all got smart, older, theological, and we got in fights. Stupid, senseless fights. Quarreling stupid, senseless fights. Just exactly what we were told not to do. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. What am I shooting at again? What am I up to in becoming noble, useful to the kingdom of heaven? But remember, people only have two categories. Well, three. Stale. We're not, nobody's recommending the stale. Theologically, knickers in a twist. Passionate, youthful, excited, authentic. You're told not to be one. You're told not to be the other. Now what? The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone. Now, is it telling you to not have... Most people can't imagine not quarreling if they have an opinion. Now, I don't know if you knew, I have a few opinions. And boy, are they good. I lie at home in my chair, wallowing in my opinions. No one's there to contradict me. I'm smoking or something like that. Just running through them alphabetically. And then there's this. And then there's that. And I can taste being right. I mean, it's like color. It's, it's, uh, I'm really fond of myself and of my opinions. And if you ever want to get a right opinion, I live at 325 North Polk. And you say, that's part of the problem, Evan. People like you who have opinions. But look at this. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone. It doesn't say, Stop having opinions. It says be kind. And then it says an apt teacher. Teaching what? Here I'm standing teaching an opinion about Timothy. My opinion about Timothy. I should be apt at it. That means able to do it well. Kindly. And then it says forbearing. That means putting up with people who disagree with you. And then it says, correcting his opponents. Hold it. I thought I could not have an opinion without it being a stupid, senseless controversy and a quarrel. That's because most people who have an opinion get into stupid, senseless controversies and a quarrel. So all the youthful, passionate people who don't want to have a theology run back over that and say, see, we'll just keep, we'll stay mindless. Well, this guy stays mindful. He's correcting his opponents. But look at how he avoids the quarrel and avoids the stupid. He becomes right. Yes, he knows he's right. But most people think that being right is just rolling up the flag of I'm attacking everybody because I'm right. So correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
So if you meet somebody who's right, who is kind, carries you along in the discussion, capable of expressing what he thinks, and any kind of correction you get from them is done gently, you're not dealing with somebody who is ignobly used in the church. He is not someone who's about stupid and senseless controversies. Now, in doing this, some of these things, both of these categories of people do not like, I'm not even assuming that anybody of these categories is here, uh, but I'm hoping that if nobody of these categories are here, it's not just me talking for 40 minutes, it's you going, hmm, I could use this passage in ministering to somebody I know. Or it protects me against future dilemmas in my own growth. We all have these moments when we're tempting to live by our youthful passions or we're tempted to be stupid and senseless. But part of the problem here, something Drew and I talked about last night, one of the first things a person who ruins their life or shows that their pile of stupid fell on them is to confess it. This is an admission that it is wrong for me to grasp my youthful passions and hang on to them as if they were the matter, the matter of the faith because the scriptures tell me to shun them. And if I'm a theological difficult person in the kingdom of God, I need to admit that I am ignoble in the kingdom of God and I have to humble myself before the mighty hand of God I must confess it. And we don't wait. The advancement, the advancement in the kingdom is not like you being discovered at a malt shop in Pasadena and being made into a movie star. It's not that you get to, um, um, it's not that you get to assume that all, everyone gets to be awarded, everybody gets to be great, we're just waiting for my 15 minutes of fame. Or God does it all. It says, purify himself. You set your target up. You know what you're aiming at. The righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You know what you're shunning. You're growing up. And then you stop and you say, okay, there's a lot of traps ahead of me. Growing up out of the youthful passions into deeper Christianity had better be producing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, not strongly felt opinions where you can't stand that anybody thinks differently than you. Because that's just another form of ignobleness. Ignobility, is that a word? You need a pure heart. It says, along with those who call upon a pure heart, back in verse 27. This is moved by goodness. Correcting his opponents, verse 25, with gentleness. God may perhaps grant that they will repent and come to know the truth. Now this is a conversation going on between believers here. Not Paul to Timothy, but Christians with other Christians. You might want to apply that passage if you're, if you're a determinist. You might want to use that for 
your, your view of God granting repentance. That's you know, fine with me if you want to. But it's about Christian discussion, Christian calling an opponent to correction. What I wanted to stress is, verse 26, that they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. If I pull this all together, I go back and look at the great house in which there are people who have let ignobility, either stupid or senseless controversies or youthful passion, design what kind of Christianity they live. And now, that's just part of the body. There's a different kind of difference that we might have in our giftings, our abilities, and our benefits to each other. Yeah, the differences exist. We are built together as a body of all these disparate elements, but not this disparate element. Ignobleness makes you a tool of Satan. Because this group of the ignoble that he's correcting or warning Timothy about are in the snare of the devil who, and they were captured by him to do his will. The, the chamber pot in the kingdom of heaven is a chamber pot because he did not purify himself of the things that the devil wanted him to do. And that inside the church the devil was having his way because he had captured these people. <laughs> But understand this. This is our hope. This is what we're after. This is what Timothy, between two Christians, this is not, frankly, part of the movement that is sweeping the nation. You won't see this on the front of Christianity today. Not that there aren't dear believers of Christianity today. You won't see, hopefully you'll hear it from somebody, But something you have to remember after you have tried to be ignobly, ignobly moved to nobility, not ignobly moved, but no moved from ignobility to nobility, useful to God, not useful to Satan, you have to be a realist. But understand this that in the last days there will come times of stress. He says, but understand this. This is what you're doing, okay? Straighten up, look for the right things, build the righteous faith, love, and peace. That's your target. If you don't get it, you're wrong. Avoid the theological precisionism. Avoid the youthful passion. But understand something. In the last days, there will come times of stress. For men will be, and he's still talking not about some fraternity brother up here. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, 
reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. At least I thought it wasn't the fraternity brother. Holding to the form of religion, but denying the power of it. No, there are fellow religionists. And sadly, that's a pretty apt description of an awful lot of people who claim Jesus Christ. They are lovers of self, lovers of money. They're proud, they're arrogant. Some of those words I want you to use in a sentence sometime this week, especially implacable. Good, good word. Profligate's a good one. Try to use that in a sentence. Why, you profligate. Something like that. Or I am such a profligate. Swollen with conceit. And they're out there either designing youthful, passionate Christianity for you. Because I've seen too many people who live like this who are the designers of the youthful, passionate Christianity. Or they're like this, and they're the most systematic right theologians you could find. But the power of our faith, oh, because the form, the institution, the pointy windows, the center aisle, that can give you everything you really need. If you have a theology, and you have a history, and you have people getting into debates and arguments on Facebook about whatever it is, You've got, you've got it going on. And you can be this kind of lover of self. But you know that what you're aiming for, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, are not the form of religion. They are the power of religion. Now, one of the things that happens, perhaps may even cross your mind, that because here I am dividing up Christendom into the youthful, passionate, stupid and senseless, stale, that I'm not doing much for the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith, everybody, oh, why can't we all get along? Uh, St. Paul didn't want to get along with these people. Next line. Avoid such people. Short sentence. Where you spot these people, avoid them. They are ignoble. They're doing the work of Satan in the church because they're captured by him to do his will. My mother, I remember years ago, She's speaking of something that had come up. Uh, it was a crisis for the church theologically. And, and she said, I think it's a tool of Satan to divide the church. Your part in that, as those things will persist, the youthful passion will persist in others, stupid and senseless controversial quarreling will exist in others, you have to exist in that as someone who is aimed at righteousness and peace and deals with it by being smart, right, kind, gentle, apt. (coughs) 
not holding to a form of religion, the power of Jesus Christ has to be evident in your life. And these people, what Paul is warning you back in verse 1 of chapter 3, but understand this, he is telling you that the task of the true believer is a lonely one, it is an unrewarded one, and you're going to see the wicked go from bad to worse and be more successful than you in their ministry. They will have the form of religion. It will sweep the whole earth. They will build really big buildings and headquarters. And they will have what is called a salary. I've heard of these things. Prepare yourself. Jesus didn't get a great reception. St. Paul certainly didn't get a great reception. He's telling his friend of the Lord, Timothy, watch out, this is what's going to happen. For among them are those who make their way into households and capture weak women. And if you're a little bit feminist, don't get your back up. Just lighten up, Francis. Which is coming real handy now that the Pope is named Francis. Because I can always say on Facebook, lighten up, Francis. Not that he reads my posts. Weak women. They capture them. The right thinking that aims at righteousness, faith, love, and peace might not successfully capture them. Now why does it capture these women? And I would suppose it would capture men who had the same qualities here. Weak women, burdened with sins, in other words, they haven't been about purifying who they are, they have not confessed their sins to God. They're carrying their guilt with them, one, and they're swayed by various impulses, so they haven't obeyed Paul when it said, shun youthful passions. Or Peter when he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Impulse is bad. You know that. You go through the grocery line, and what do they have? Impulse buys, right? Right there at the front. Dangling the Cardassian's latest sins in front of you to they make you buy it. Or chapstick. One of the two. Oh, yeah, What's a buck? What's a dollar? Impulse. People live by impulse. Not a good way to live. Because these weak women, burdened with sins and swayed by their impulses, verse 7, who will listen to anybody. Ignoble, noble, doesn't matter. They don't know the difference. They don't know why they don't know the difference. And look at the curse that's on them. And can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. These people are in the company of the saints, inside of Christendom, ignoble vessels, either in youthful passion or in adult pretending serious controversy. And they are the tools of Satan. Boy, yeah, and I'm meaning that. He's got a verse here, right? Tools of Satan, tools of the devil. To walk through the earth 
stumbling people who need to be protected, people who can't find their way to what God wants. Don't be that person. Whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, look at your sins, look at what you think of impulse, look at whether you are listening to just about anybody. I can't believe what people, have you ever noticed that on the internet? You can't believe what people believe. That's probably a good place to be. Well, at least I'm not believing. I can't believe what they're believing. I don't care if it's about chemtrails in the sky or whether it's about the Pope or it's about the latest study on whatever. People believe it. As Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth. Men of corrupt mind and counterfeit faith. They are existing inside the church. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. But it, you know what it takes? It takes Moses standing in front of Janus and Jambres and showing what really God's hand is on. It takes you being in the company of the saints, the broader saints in Moscow, truly having met the aim, given up being a child, given up youthful passion, and saying, you know, I'm not done here. My study is not done until I am righteous, faithful, loving, and peaceful. I'm not done. Because that walks through. That makes the fraudulent evident. But most people, since they live in a world of Christian form, they don't know what's a fraud or what's real. Everything looks equally kind of suspect. We're not promising you there's going to be a movement of Jesus Christ really working in people's lives, that there's going to be a movement of true believers. You don't get that little jolly. Oh, I get to be on the new thing where real Christianity is lived. No, you don't. You get to join St. Paul and Timothy and maybe 12 other people in history. I don't know who they are, but why don't you be the next one who really knows what God is trying to do in you? Because Paul doesn't promise you the success that the counterfeit faith has. People won't always listen to you. Now you've observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings, what befell me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Yet, from them all, the Lord rescued me. Then he says, indeed, all who desire to live the godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Yay! Yeah. Now, do you want to be... You want to be one of those kids down front in the mosh pit at some Christian concert? Or do you want to be on your knees in front of somebody from ISIS? With a really big sword. He's got the sword, not you. You're about to lose your head because you're a Christian. Or that's not going to happen to you. You're frank. Well, maybe, maybe not. 
But Christianity is giving in to the world in a lot of ways. And where it doesn't give in, the world attacks it. And it will continue to attack it. And as you grow older in the faith, stressing the good that is in Christ, you'll be the most attacked. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceivers and deceived. Yay! This is the movement that St. Paul's promising you. Yeah, you'll get beat up. And all the guys that are faking it, they'll succeed. And in the middle of Timothy, he says that. He says, everybody in Asia has deserted me. He had founded those churches. He had built those churches. And they deserted him. They weren't part of St. Paul's ideologies anymore. Following something else. Not that they weren't Christians. But Paul's concern for Timothy, and I concern for each other, that we're not building the kind of life that God wants us to build. We're content with the being ignoble. We think it's more pious to admit our errors. And I think the Lord would say, stop making the errors. Stop it. Well, which is nobody's, but stop it. Quit doing that. Well, you know, it's just so hard. Quit doing that. Who is Lord? Who is gracious? What is love in you? You, have you even set your sights on this? But as for you, this is the encouragement. Continue in what you have learned. And have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. Got that? Your Christianity, the Christ you came to, do you know that? Do you know that gospel? Do you know what you firmly believed? Do you know who you look to? Do you look to these kind of counterfeit teachers who represent the former religion, who get into senseless controversies with people? Do you find yourself following youthful, passionate, the latest thing, the latest trend in Christian circles? Or do you know whom you have believed? Have you looked down through Christian history for those 12 guys? And I'm not referring to the apostles. I, you know, there's 12. Pick the apostles. Look for other men who believe the gospel. Look for other women who believe the gospel for whom righteousness and peace were descriptors. You can find them in, in history. You really can. Guys like Richard Baxter. Now, Richard Baxter, I don't mean to speak ill of the man, was a Calvinist. But he was a saint. Read Richard Baxter. Or Richard Grinnell's, uh, William Grinnell's Christian and Complete Army, Armor. R.C. Chapman, who is Plymouth Brethren, a saint. Find the saints. Not, not the one that the, everybody in Christendom has called saints. And I really did not like all of the excitement over the masculine portions of the church 
being really thrilled that the real Saint Nicholas punched out a heretic at a particular council in Byzantium. I know it's no relation to the Nicholases. But Christians don't punch out heretics. Okay? But he was a heretic. I don't care. Christians do not punch heretics. We do good. So what is he telling him to do? Know who you learned it from. What's your collection of saints? I know people who have an odd collection of saints, some of whom aren't even Christians. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Knowing from who you learned it and the scriptures. Don't be looking for success in the forms of religion. You're looking for these things that you set your aim on. You realize you might be living a lonely life. You're representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're probably going to get persecuted. My father is out there trying to pick fights with the gospel recently because he's going to die soon. And he's, he says, I got this, this verse is writing him. All those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. He says, I'm living on a nice street in North Idaho and nobody's picking on me. I better do something. So he might be saying a lot more things in the next few months or years, whatever the Lord gives him. Do you have this in mind? Do you have these things to direct yourself at? Do you know all scripture? This is a wonderful verse. People have it on the refrigerator. This is where it occurs. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that every man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You've been given the marching orders through this extended set of passages, and it ends with that. It says, know what you're about, know what you're doing, knowing what you're doing to purify yourself so that God can use you the right way, not so that you can be the great slayer of atheists, but so that you can be a peaceful, loving Christian. You get there by knowing what you really believed, having good examples, and being a student of the Word of God. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're thankful for your Word. We're grateful for whatever in history brought it down to us, and we're grateful for all the men that translated it in all of our time in an affluent society to gather together to share the word with each other and we would ask that these things would become the most important to us. Lord, help us value righteousness, faith, love and peace above all else and let us aim at it. Deliver us from the works of Satan. In your son's name, amen. Amen.